Let's do that hockey. Welcome to another edition of Dauber Prospects Radio. I'm your host, Peter Harling, and today I'm recording this on Monday, December 14th, uh, in the middle of the COVID pandemic, which means we are right around the corner from the World Juniors, which, as you all know, is the most wonderful time of year. So um, this is the first episode of a series that will be coming out leading into the World Juniors, doing a little roster preview for all of the powerhouse countries and i'm very pleased at this time to be joined by the first guest of this series none other than chris peters from espn and chris has um graciously enough agreed to come on and talk a little team usa so maybe we're going in reverse alphabetical order welcome to the show chris good to have you on man thanks a lot peter it's good to be with you and yeah i'm i'm happy to lead off Nice, nice. Well, setting the bar high. Uh, I've met you a couple times at, at different games and and events and drafts mm-hmm. and stuff. And uh, I've been meaning to get you on this this podcast for a long time. So uh, I don't know what took me so long to to reach out the olive branch, but I appreciate you uh, agreeing to come on on the show with me. Thanks so much for your time again. Yeah, no problem. I mean, this is this is you know like everybody. It's uh, if you if you like prospects, the World Juniors is is uh is like christmas around christmas so it's it's pretty great um on it's doubly great you get the presents and then you get the world juniors it's i mean how can you ask for anything more than that not only that it's it's some of the best hockey i've ever seen for sure the world junior tournament is such great pace it's like the stanley cup playoff pace it's hard to to keep in mind how young these kids are i mean you watch them on TV, and you, it just doesn't really translate. It's like watching um, NASCAR on TV and seeing how fast they go, and then going to a, a live racing <laughs> event and seeing it firsthand. It's it's quite different. And so you see these kids on the ice in the World Junior, and they look like NHL players and pros, and some of them are. And then you go to a junior game, and you and you meet the kids and interview them, and it's like this guy looks like he's barely old enough to be in high school. <laughs> I mean, they really are teenagers and kids, so it's it's quite remarkable, and the pace of play is is fantastic. Um, so those are some of the reasons why I've long, long been a fan of the World Juniors for for decades. And the other reason why is because it's uh, it's been a fantastic resource for farming and scouting for my fantasy hockey rosters. I don't know if you've got that little hidden layer of, of bonus from watching the World Juniors as well, but um, it, it's a it's a great way to find players for your fantasy roster. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's such a, it's such a unique tournament in the, in the scope of sports. I mean, you know, there, there are certainly things in soccer and basketball where they have, you know, U U 19, U 23 kind of tournaments and things like that. But, but none of them get the national attention and the opportunity to watch all the games pretty easily on TV in the U S and Canada um, like the world juniors does. And then, you know, these guys are so close and, and, and the NHL has continually gotten younger players that are, you know, played in the world juniors, uh, are, are on NHL rosters a season later, you know, the, the players that have success at the world junior championship by and large are players that are going to have some level of, of success at the national hockey league, uh, level as well. So, I mean, it, it really is a great opportunity to catch up with these players after many, most of them have been drafted 
Um, it's also usually a good year to check out draft eligible prospects. It's not going to be as good for that this year, um, based on what we've seen in terms of the rosters named. But it's it's as as always a great look at players that you know ha- have been in the most two recent drafts, pretty much, and um, and certainly you know you might see see players that were taken in the second, third, fourth, fifth round, um, or players that were undrafted. That, that make an impact at the world junior level. And then you eventually hear their names later on when they're signing as free agents or getting drafted in, in, as an overager or if they're, you know, a, a lower draft pick, all of a sudden really popping on radars. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really great for that, those purposes for sure. There's been a tremendous number of uh, movie caliber storylines to come out of the world juniors. And even just kind of the opposite of the point that you just made, it never ceases to amaze me how you can have some players who shine and can dominate a tournament at the World Juniors, and that is the pinnacle of their career. They don't get a sniff at the NHL, and that's this is this is their peak. Um, which kind of leads me to another topic that I kind of want to just touch on briefly is um, should there even be a World Junior hmm. tournament this year? There's a lot of criticism about that on social media that it shouldn't be going. Um, which would be, it's understandable, but it would be a shame because the point I just made that, that this is it for some of these guys. This is their, the shining moment of their career. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. There's been a lot of uh, COVID casualties. You know, kids who, are, who graduated high school last year didn't get a prom. And um, like my kid's high school is doing a drive-through graduation ceremony where they drive through and get their diplomas. Like, you know, I feel kind of bad about that and everyone's got their belly aches about it um what what are your thoughts on whether or not we should be having a world junior yeah i've really gone back and forth on it over the course of the whole process and i and i think really what it comes down to is you can have the tournament if you're going to take every single possible precaution you will spare no expense in the name of health and safety you will but The thing is, is that the coronavirus, as we found out, you cannot guarantee that Um, you cannot guarantee safety. You cannot guarantee that the players won't uh, won't get the get the illness and and potentially spread it around. Um, You know, there's obviously very strict quarantine and and other protocols in Canada that are being waived to have this tournament. Um, You know, players don't have to wait 14 days to quarantine in Canada, like they did, you know, like some people did, like, or any media that came from the U S that went to Canada would have to, um, you know, they, the, the, the IIHF decided, uh, for whatever reason that they were going to have three teams per plane on the way over here from Europe, um, which ended up causing travel issues, uh, just before they all arrived. And there was a chance that the, that the Finnish team wasn't going to get on the plane, uh, because uh, they didn't have enough room in the cargo hold for all the equipment, and they were going to put the equipment in the cabin, and then that was going to squish all the players closer together. And so that was a fiasco, and I thought that that was, that was one of the moments for me that I said, what are we doing, and why are we doing it, and is it worth it? Because let's face it, the only reason this is happening, the only reason this tournament, then everybody's going to all this trouble, is to make sure that the TV rights money and the advertising money is made. And they're not going to make the ticket money, which is one of the biggest drivers of revenue in the tournament. 
they're not going to have that. But if they at least can turn some level of profit on this, then Hockey Canada and the IIHF as the host nation and the governing body will have money that that is then filtered to other things that are important. And I'm not, you know, they're not just doing it because they want to stick it in their own pockets. You know, this, this tournament helps fund other things. Um, But, you know, the IIHF, you know, has canceled many other tournaments, including the women's under 18 world championship, which is a top level tournament. And then all of the other, U20 and U18 tournaments that, that, you know, don't get as much notoriety because they're not played by the big countries. So, you know, so it's that, that's kind of the thing. And I know I'm, I'm going on and on here, but I think it's important because the players are the ones that assume the players and the coaches are the ones that assume most of the risk. The players are the ones that the benefit to having the tournament is experience. It's not money. It's not, you know, they are not making money off of this. They're not getting the, the benefit of, of anything really outside of the experience. And, and, you know, every single player that are on those planes had no problem getting on those planes. They were more than willing to do it. It's worth it to them. Uh, but I think the double IHF has a responsibility to do right by their players. And I think this travel situation was a red flag for me. Um, also kind of some of the testing protocols uh, have been really, uh, they're, they're really strict, but they're also a bit flawed because as we've seen, some players have tested positive in camp. They turned out to be false positives, and they ended up, you know, they couldn't come to the World Juniors, but as we saw with William Eklund from Sweden, he was playing a few days after he was released from camp um, and because, you know, he was able to take an additional test. So, so you know, player, or countries have lost players that may have tested positive but not, might not have been a true positive. So <laughs> there are so many different things. And so this is a long way. For me to say, again, like I said at the beginning, that I've gone back and forth on it and I remain very conflicted about it because I am a fan of the tournament and I want to see the tournament. And I, but, but I also think that there has to be the proper steps taken. And what I've seen so far doesn't lead me to believe that the IIHF has done everything in their power to make this the best po- the, you know, the safest possible environment for these players. And that's you know, upsetting to me and it, it, it to me taints the tournament a little bit. Yeah, I really, uh, really on the same page as you are here. I I desperately want the tournament to go because I love it so much. And it's such an important part of the hockey season. And, you know, the storylines that come out of it are, are, are just fantastic. And the quality of hockey is excellent. And these players are the ones who, you know, they're they're in the tournament. They're taking the risk and not only that but they're you know they're leaving their families over christmas as well and yeah so they're and they're not doing it for the monetary gains like you said um so i'm like yeah man and the nhl had their playoff bubble and they proved that it can it can be very effective uh so you know one side of me is like all in absolutely what's what's the question and then the other side of me is like well people are dying Mm mm-hmm but, yeah, I mean, and that and that's that's the thing is like, you know, when you put it in perspective, like, you know, and the, the thing is, is there are coaches that are older, there are, you know, support staff that are older that are coming to this thing. And, you know, you start worrying and saying, you know, if if anybody gets sick for, because of this tournament, because of, you know, in transit or whatever. And, and the other thing, too, Peter, right now is we're still waiting to find out all, to make sure all of the tests that come in between now and when the in the over these next four days players are in in their hotel rooms they're isolated they're all by themselves in their hotel rooms for these next four days 
they have to test out of, you know, the, out of quarantine. And so we don't know if we're going to have positives. We had, you know, the, the Swedish camp was plagued by positive cases. They lost four coaches and three players and, and Germany lost four players and Switzerland lost players and Austria lost a player. The U S lost three players or two players. So, you know, like everybody started losing players. We obviously saw Canada's camp get paused and it just goes to show you that no matter how many precautions you take and, and if you test, testing alone is not going to prevent you from getting the coronavirus in your camp so or, or in your tournament. So that is the, the concern at this point. And, and really, if, if there is a positive case within the tournament, I think there are protocols in place to isolate that situation. But as we saw in Canada's camp where they had, you know, uh, a staff member get it, two players get it. Um, and then have to be sent home, and then their close contacts had to be sent home. All that is is very concerning to me. And 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 then in the grand scheme, and as you mentioned, in the background, people are dying. There are, there are, you know, hospitals are overrun. the The province of Alberta right now is under some of the strictest coronavirus protocols it's had since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and yet we're going to have a tournament there where we're bringing people from all over the country and using resources for that. You know, not it's not government resources, but it's resources that are, you know, for the IIHF, for for Hockey Canada, for all those different organizations that need to to make money, uh, to to that are nonprofit organizations by 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 you know, it, it, technically, so yeah, so it, there's a lot of conflicted feelings about it. Um, you know, I I'll continue to cover it if it happens. Um, but I'm also going to make sure that I think most you know journalists that are going to cover this are going to, you know, hold the IIHF and Hockey Canada and all the member nations accountable for anything that, you know, was preventable that they didn't either think of or anything like that. Because they, they really, they, they're the ones that are benefiting from the players who are willingly putting themselves at risk for experience. Well, I think it can work if the players... Um follow all all the protocols and take mm -hmm. this and take this very seriously and the fact that they're you know risking their health and and sacrificing christmas and and you watch the gold medal game and you see the elation and joy on the players faces that win it and then the camera pans down and shows the losers all slumped along the <laughs> boards and hanging their heads on the on the over the bench crying their eyes out they're they're heartbroken and um so you know that the players take this seriously and and almost nothing in the world means anything more to them right now so i'd like right. to think that that passion and determination to make this tournament and succeed at it forces them easily not forces them it, it makes it easy for them to you know take the protocol seriously and isolate and not sneak out and meet their girlfriend or, or go for <laughs> drinks or whatever you know they just right stay in the room and play xbox when they're when they're not on the ice yeah um so that's enough of the COVID side of the tournament for this <laughs> entire series of episodes. I've been a really good job of avoiding COVID on this podcast. Um, that is a conscious choice. But let's talk about the roster now. Team NCAA or Team <laughs> USA. Uh, let's let's go um, let's go positionally. Let's start in goal. Uh, it seems to be Spencer Knight's crease. Uh, his to lose. Uh, Dustin Wolf, I think, will be his strongest competition and could see some spot starts. Um, tell me a little bit about Logan Stein. I'm, I'm not terribly familiar with him. He's an undrafted free agent player at 19 years old. 
Uh, he's playing in Ferris State U. What's the uh, what's the story on this guy? Yeah, well, the reason Logan Stein is is on the roster is because Drew Camesso, who was initially named to the team, um, was not going to be able to come to camp because Boston University had uh, COVID issues. They were in, you know, their team was in COVID protocol, and so three invitees to USA's camp, which was uh, Camesso, Robert Mastro Simone, and uh, um, Alex Velasic, uh, all had to bow out of the camp, and so Camesso was the clear number three second round draft pick of the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, a guy that will probably be the starter next year. Um, and he was supposed to be there. So Logan Stein comes in and you're right, undrafted. He's the, you know, I think he's the first player from the the modern day WCHA or maybe the second um, uh, to make a U.S. national team roster. Um, and he, you know, he had a pretty solid, um, not spectacular, but solid junior career. Um, you know, obviously he didn't get drafted, but, but he play, went to Ferris State. He's, he's expected to play a, a pretty substantial role there as a freshman. Um, he did play in the World Junior A Challenge and, and, and had a really nice tournament there last year um, and, and, and got some, some really good reps. Uh, and, and so that is kind of how he got into the, the mix for this team. And he was, you know, the, the goalie that they invited to their fall camp, the fourth goalie that they invited to their fall camp that they had back in October. So, you know, he's, he's, he's got plenty of talent, plenty of skill. Um, you know, I think that the, the chances of him playing are, are, are next to none. If as long as everybody's healthy, uh, because you've got Spencer Knight and Dustin Wolf, you, you know, you got the, the guy who was the best collegiate uh, freshman in the country last year in, in net and a first round draft pick. And then you've got Dustin Wolf, who was the CHL goalie of the year. So, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty solid tandem uh, for, for team USA. Canada is is envious. <laughs> Do you think it's more surprising that Logan Stein made the World Junior roster or that he went undrafted? Uh pr- probably more that he he made the World Junior roster just because I mean really if if Camesso was healthy, well we we I don't even think that uh as far as I know he he himself did not test positive. Um but as far as I know, you know, he he would have been on the roster. So you know, I I never saw anything from Logan Stein over the years that said, "Hey, this guy is absolutely going to get drafted." I I think that we've we've uh, had a lot of unique goaltenders over the years. Um, in these last couple of years, and uh, the crowded field, uh, you know, he never really stood out to me as a guy that uh, that that you know that that people missed on. Now he could certainly go ahead and have a have himself a career at Ferris State. He's going to get plenty of reps there. He's going to see plenty of pucks. Um, and, and certainly could work his way into the to the mix as a um, as a college free agent. But I still think there's enough development ahead of him where I, I didn't see any issue with him not going getting drafted. And I, I'm certainly, you know, I, I never anticipated that he would he would end up making this team. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think based on the goalie pool, he deserves to be there. Cool. Uh, I would look at their goaltending and say this is a an A to an, an A plus rating right. goaltending uh, roster that USA has to go with. Um, I think Spencer Knight would get the the gold medal game should they make it that far. Um, but if he kind of has an Askarov like World Junior performance from last year and and is a little shaky, they're going to be just fine going with Dustin Wolf. Um, let's talk about the blue line a little bit. Um, I don't know where to start here. Uh, okay, so Jack's, Jake Sanderson, uh, Ottawa mm-hmm. Senators uh, 
top five pick in the draft, first defenseman taken in the 2020 draft. Uh, he looks like he'll be one of the anchors for this roster, along with um, possibly Cam York, um, who's with the University of Michigan, Philadelphia Flyers first round pick from from 19. Um, different kind of players. York's a little bit more offensive and Sanderson's a little bit more all around. Um, but a lot of chatter about Sanderson and on his rise through the draft rankings this past season and that his offensive game is a little underrated. And playing on the United States national development team uh, doesn't really, um, didn't really allow him a lot of opportunity to, to show his offensive chops. And as a freshman at North Dakota, he's already got three points in three games. So that kind of lends a little bit of, and it's a very small sample size, but it still lends a little bit of merit to that um, that statement. Do, do you think that Sanderson has uh, understated offensive upside? Uh, I do, and I, I've I've been saying that you know probably since last February, and just you know having having watched him enough, and and also understanding the numbers for that for that particular U18 team last year they just did not score a lot of goals as a team. I mean like that team did not have a lot of of firepower up front whereas you know Cam York the year before could send a, a stretch pass to one of Cole Caulfield, Matt Boldy, Alex Turcott, Jack Hughes, you know all these you know Trevor Zegris, you know multiple top top first round draft picks and that was not the case for Jake Sanderson last year. But, you know, he really shined in situations where the spotlight was on him, like at the under 18 Five Nations in February at the, the All-American Prospects game. And really throughout the, the latter portion of the season, he really seemed to be hitting his stride offensively. And I really think that he'll end up being USA's number one defenseman in this tournament. I, you know, I think um, he's 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 young still. You know, I mean, it's his first, you know, he, he, he probably could have made the team last year. And there's actually an interesting story. I think I shared this um, uh, with Tony Ferrari, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. But I, I think you know basically I I after the the U U20 team got together last year in, in Plymouth, they scrimmaged the under 18 uh, team, and they kind of put some of the World Junior guys on the under 18 team just to kind of fill out their roster and stuff and make sure everybody's getting enough ice time. But I know several scouts that were in the building for that that said after that game was over, they, they said, Hey, to the, to the U S staff, you're like, you guys might want to take Sanderson <laughs> to the tournament with you because he was the best player on the ice. And so um, I, I think that Nate Lehman, the, the head coach who, who just really does value such a strong defensive game um, is going to use Jake Sanderson in all situations. I, you know, I'm not hundred percent positive that he'll end up being on, um, you know, the top power play. I think that'll be Cam York, but at the same time, I think you, you've got a spot for, for Sanderson on your power play unit. You also would use him in, in as one of your top penalty killers. I think defensively he's elite, um, you know, so he's just so well-rounded and the games that I've watched so far this year where uh, with North Dakota, he just easily transitioned into the, into college hockey looked like he'd been playing at that level for a long time was just completely unfazed by the level of competition, which was very high. Um, and played big minutes for a team that has, you know, uh, other other top defensemen. They have the the number one undrafted free agent, I think, in college hockey this year, and Matt Kirstead. Uh, they they have uh, uh, Jacob Bernard Docker, former first round draft pick and a junior. You know, so like the fact that he's playing such a big role as a freshman is isn't surprising given his draft pedigree. 
but the fact that he's as good as he is is just further further proof that this is a kid that um, deserved to go where he went in the draft last year. Well, I know some Sens fans might have been a little disappointed that he was the uh, the player that the Sens picked at fifth overall, and if they had to take a defenseman, um, a lot of the you know Sens fans in Canada were, were thinking Jamie Drysdale. Come on, no brainer. So they're going to be looking forward to getting an opportunity to see Jake Sanderson at the World Juniors. And that's not the only Sens defensive prospect they'll get to look at. Uh, Tyler Clevin um, played last season with Jake Sanderson with the U.S. team. And now they're in North Dakota as uh, freshmen together, uh, drafted by the Ottawa Senators together. And they're at the World Juniors together. Tyler Clevin made the team. So he's a very different kind of player. Um, Very big uh, defensive physical defenseman. Um, he's got a goal already, though, in his mm-hmm. three games in the NCAA. Yeah. So, do you, what kind of what kind of, was it really? I didn't see it. It was. Yeah, it was awesome. It was highlight reel. <laughs> oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, toe drag, toe drag shot. So, so Clevin, Clevin is one of those guys where he did not make the roster initially. Um, Alex Velasic being knocked out made space for him. Uh, they brought in him and Hunter Skinner on the blue line. And, um, you know, they he he edged out a player, Cam Cam McDonald, who was named to the camp roster, uh, was cut. And so and and he's, you know, one of Nate Lehman's own defensemen from from Providence. And so uh, Tyler Clevin came into the camp. Um, you know, he's you know, you mentioned all the combinations with with Jake Sanderson. They live together. You know, they're very close friends. And. I think, you know, one of the things I heard the coaching staff talk about is how much Jake Sanderson rubbed off on Tyler Clevin in terms of, you know, setting an example for work ethic and the the ability to hone your skills. And there are two things that have stood out so far with Tyler Clevin's early on at North Dakota, where he was playing, you know, essentially, you know, he was he was kind of on the bottom pairing, but he was playing a regular shift and was playing good minutes. Um, You know, he has the size. he, He has physicality and nastiness. Um, but his mobility has looked vastly improved from a year ago. I think that that's one of the, the key things that may have been holding him back is that he needed to, you know, his, his stride was a little heavy. I think his, 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 there's a more fluidity to his stride. Now there's, you know, a quickness to his feet, not necessarily, you know, he's, I, I don't think anybody's going to call him fast, but he's, he's just, his footwork has improved. Um, he's always been really good in terms of spacing and angling and, you know, getting putting forwards into a bad position where he's going to take the puck from them. Um, and, and so that's been evident at the college level. That's a lot harder to do when you're coming, you know, from from junior hockey. And, and you know, the, the timing is a little different. It's a little harder. The, the, the physicality of the players that you're going up against is, is, is higher. So you're you're you know, you have to be a little bit better um and then as i mentioned he scored an absolutely beautiful goal where it was a a toe drag into a wrist shot that was just an absolute snipe um and you know i think his hands have looked better so uh as i was watching him it was funny that you know the the things worked out in the camp but clevin was a guy for me that i thought whoa he should have been in camp they they missed him like and and then they kind of luck out and and are able to get him and i think that he's going to go from being a guy that was on the outside looking in to potentially, you know, he might end up being the seventh defenseman just because I think there's, there's decent depth on the blue line. And there are some guys that are a little more offensively gifted. that are going to get some more run, but he's impressive. And, and, and I've been, you know, it's only three games of his collegiate career. Um, but he looked really, really good um, in the games that I saw. And, 
and I think that he could potentially play his way into a more substantial role for this team. Well, he is an 18-year-old, so he's got that working against him. But he is, you know, like we've said, line mates with Jake Sanderson for years. So those two will have a tremendous amount of chemistry, I would imagine. Um, So let's talk about some of the potential D pairings. You've got Sanderson and Clevin that played together uh, forever. Um, You've got a whole bunch of guys from University of Minnesota and Brock Faber, Ryan Johnson, and... Jackson Lacombe. Jackson Lacombe is the other one, yeah. Um, So do you think there could be potential for some familiarity pairings on the defensive groups? There there will be. um, And, you know, Cam York and Henry Thurun played together at the National Team Development Program. They're both left-shot defensemen, both more offensive-minded. Thurun was one of the top-scoring freshman defensemen in college hockey last year at Harvard. And because Harvard had to cancel their season, he's playing for the Dubuque Fighting Saints in the USHL this year. Um, and, and hasn't necessarily jumped off the page uh, so far this season, but I think that that's going to be a pair. Um, Sanderson very well could play some with Clevin, but I think you know in camp he's been used more with Drew Hellison, who's one of the two, you know, one of the three right shot defensemen on the team. And Hellison's a much more defensive minded guy, but makes a good first pass and and has some physicality. So you know, I think that you you could definitely see Sanderson and Hellison getting major minutes against top pairing, you know, top lines. Um, but they also have a really good potential for a matchup pairing in Ryan Johnson and Brock Faber, who are paired together at the University of Minnesota. Johnson, I did not love what I saw from him last year. I thought that, you know, for a first round pick, I thought that there just wasn't enough um, offensive game for him last year. This year, you know, he's play, played for Minnesota. Minnesota hasn't lost a game yet. Um, and he looked fantastic. And I thought he really looked good with Faber. And both of those guys tend to be more defensive minded and more definitely, you know, better as a kind of like a shutdown unit, but they have enough skill to make some plays. So, um, you know, I think that that that's going to be really interesting. I think Clevin and and Lacombe could be a pair. Lacombe is a left shot that plays on the right side at Minnesota. And then you also have Hunter Skinner, who's who's a right shot. Um, So uh, so, yeah, so I. I think that'll be that'll be really interesting to kind of see um, where everything goes with with that uh, that D group. But I think that you're going to probably see heavy, heavy doses of Jake Sanderson. Uh, you should see quite a bit of Cam York. And I think, you know, Ryan Johnson is, is a guy that at other levels, um, particularly at the World Junior A Challenge, when the U.S. Uh, won it a couple of years ago, you know, he was in charge of of shutting down top lines from Russia at the world junior a challenge. And he did a phenomenal job of that. And and that really helped uh, kind of propel him in the draft as, as a guy who could be elite shutdown defenseman. Uh, But this year we've seen a little bit more offense from him. So I think the U S group as a whole, it's not necessarily dynamic offensively. It has enough firepower back there, but they have some really incredible defenders and, 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 and can have a lot of flexibility with the matchups that they can play with that group. Yeah, they certainly don't have a shortage of defensemen. Uh, two, three, four, five. Yeah, nine seven, of them. <laughs> nine. You can only play yeah. three in a game. So unless yeah. some of those guys can play forward at the same time, uh, there'll, there'll be a couple of them in the press box. But I imagine that they might just uh, they might rotate through a couple of them with maybe the top four being three or four being uh, an every game lock. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's move up front. Uh, so the first player I want to talk about at forward 
is a draft eligible player. So I might be encroaching a little bit on uh, on Tony's podcast here, but that's okay. Um, so Matthew uh, Benyers, University of Michigan. He's 18 years old. He's a 21 draft eligible, and uh, he's freshman. And he's already got six points in eight NCAA games uh, with University of Michigan, who's turning some heads. Uh, tell me a little bit about this player. Well, you know, he's he's one of those players that always, always stands out in a game. And it's not always because of a highlight reel play. Um, it's just that his motor just never stops. He's He's got really good speed. He's, he's physical. He's strong. Um, he does have skill. He has incredible intelligence. And, you know, I think, you know, the University of Michigan has, you know, three guys that could be top 10 picks in the draft this year. Owen Power, you know, he's getting some number one love. Kent Johnson and then Matty Beneers. And I think Beneers has probably been pound for pound the best player. Um, you know, maybe he's not the best prospect in terms of upside compared to Power and Johnson. However, he has been the best the best of those three players in the games that he's played for Michigan. And, and now he was supposed to go to Harvard this season, had to decommit kind of at the late, you know, late because of the situation with, you know, uh Harvard's season being at risk, it wasn't canceled at that point. And then he obviously made the right decision to go to Michigan where he could play games. So, um, you know, he's more than likely going to be USA's number two center uh, behind Alex Turcotte. Um, You know, according to the players in camp, you know, Beneers spent quite a bit of time between Matt Boldy and Cole Caulfield. So that's a scoring line role. And he has that ability in him. He, you know, you mentioned he had the six points. I think, you know, he's, he's the guy that even if he doesn't get the assist is going to have had an impact on the goal because he was in on the four check or he disrupted a play or he forced the turnover at the end of, other end of the ice. Those are the types of things that I think Maddie Beneers does so well. Um, and, and, and you, you just can trust him in any situation. He can be a PK guy for you. He can be on the power play. You know, he's not a humongous player by physical stature, but he's just so strong. And, and he just has that motor and that speed. And those are the things that makes him a guy that I think a lot of teams are going to look at. And he very well could be a top five pick in this year's draft. I think I had him, you know, a little bit lower than that to start this season. But the more I've watched him and, and the, the, the things that he does, I mean, he just does so many different things that help you win hockey games um, that, that I know that the coaching staff is going to lean on him heavily in this tournament. Yeah, uh, he's having a very impressive season. Um, really want to watch some University of Michigan games. They've got um, they've got a lot of, of players to watch. What kind of role do you think he'll have on on USA's roster this this tournament? I think we'll see him. You know, I think score. It's going to be a scoring line role. You know, and I think he's going to be a guy that that probably is on you know one of the power play units. Um, you know, I could see, I, I think he'll probably be on a PK and I'm sure that his PK will have the green light to try and, you know, create offense as well off of the PK. Um, you know, and that's something that he absolutely can do. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I think he's going to play a pretty substantial role. You know, I think number two center and, and basically uh, a guy that can do just about anything you need him to. Two of the top guns on USA's roster are just kind of, kind of backing into this tournament because, you know, they haven't played a game yet this year um so they haven't played in almost nine months and that's alex turcott and trevor zegras clearly these guys are going to be the the two of the players anyways that um are the straw that stirs the drink offensively for for usa um 
Both of them have uh, signed their pro contracts, which is why they're not playing in the NCAA this year. Um, I, I think there's any chance that these guys could be a little bit rusty compared to everyone else that's that's got games under their belt. Um, you know, it's certainly possible. I mean, think one of the things that I've kind of noticed in the games that I've watched of whether they've been in camp and, you know, we weren't able to see anything from the USA camp. So I, I wasn't able to watch them specifically. Um, you know, they, they have been skating. They've been, you know, Zegers has been with Anaheim for the last three months. Um, and he's been skating with players at their facility. Um, so he's been around NHL players and that definitely helps. I mean, you know, that that's something that's good. Um, Alex Turcott actually got some time with uh, Berlin in the DEL during their training camp and did get into a couple of at least one or two exhibition games for Berlin. So he he's at least played a little bit. Um, but, you know, and, and I think one of the most valuable things for both of those guys is is that, you know, coming into this tournament and this being the first action that they play, it's at such a high level. And these guys have have been kind of ramping up to this point. And they they both have a sour taste in their mouth for how last year went. Now, Zegers was awesome in last year's tournament. He led the tournament in assists. He was he was uh, made so many high re- highlight real plays and and really had to earn his way up the lineup in on last year's team. This year, he's going to be a first line player. It sounds like he's actually going to play on the wing. And Turcotte will probably be a center, and they'll probably have Arthur Kaliev on the other wing. So that is you know likely USA's top unit. Um, you know, they're going to play a lot and Zegers and, and Kaliev had some chemistry last year. Um, and Turcotte has played with Zegers, you know, at the national team development program. And these guys have a bit of a burr in their saddle, uh, because of, of the way last year went. And also because of two years ago at the under 18 world championship, Yaroslav Askarov stole a gold medal right off their necks, uh, from, from, from the world under 18 championship as you know, he stopped three top 15 picks in a, in a, in this, in one shootout and, and Spencer Knight only let in one at the other end. And so these guys, this is their last opportunity to play together, you know, with, with Cole Caulfield, with, uh, you know, Patrick Moynihan's on the team, Cam York, Henry Theron guys, Spencer Knight, you know, they're, they're, these are their buddies that they played with. And the 01 birth year for USA is, is legendary just because of what they did as U18s, but they, they don't have any gold medals to show for it. So, I think those two guys are really ready to go. And and I think Alex Turcott, uh, I was really glad to hear him say this this year because I felt it last season. And I just don't know if he was ready to admit it yet, but he tried to do way too much last season. He put way too much on his shoulders. He put way too much pressure on himself. This year, he knows there's a lot expected of him, but he knows that he's got to be bought in to the process and everything else because, you know, last year he never got going. They didn't really find a good role for him. They didn't find good line mates for him, but he needed to be better than he was. He knows that, and I think that 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 will help lead him to a better a better tournament this year. All right, let's do a little throwback to one of my uh, early episodes when Paul was my my co-host, and we did who would you rather. Uh, so let's do who would you <laughs> rather have on your fantasy roster: Alex Turcott or Trevor Zegras? Because it's a coin toss for me. Um, for me, it's, it's pretty easily Zegris and, you know, that's changed since their draft year. I mean, I had Turcotte as a top four pick in that draft. Um, you know, he ended up going fifth, so not far off, but, you know, I think what you have just in terms of fantasy, I think Zegris is, has the more dynamic player. I think he's more than likely going to be moved. I, I think he'll probably end up playing more on the wing in the NHL level. He can play center. 
but I think he's probably going to be a wing. And um, I think that that allows him to open up his game offensively. He's got some of the best hands outside of the NHL. I think he's one of the best passers. He's a guy that's going to rack up a ton of assists, incredible vision, just incredible vision um, and creativity. And Alex Turcott is much more of the, you know, I don't want to compare him to Jonathan Taves because that's not, that's not really, you know, he's not at that level and he wasn't at that level in his draft year, but he's, he's more of the guy that's, you know, it, it's more about work ethic than skill. He has skill, he has vision, he has incredible hockey sense, but the work ethic is what carries him. And so his hand skills aren't as advanced as Zegers is, but he, he makes a lot of plays. I think he's probably, you know, uh, he might be a better goal scorer, I think, because he gets in tight to the net. He goes to the hard areas and he makes, you know, he works for his offense. Um, but I just think that, you know, if you're, if you're thinking fantasy wise points, it's, it's probably Zegris by, by, by a fair margin for me, just offensively. I think the better all around player is Turcotte, but Zegris is, is, is absolutely a, an offensive dynamo. Nice. Yeah. I like him too, because, uh, his opportunity in Anaheim is less blocked with for sure. competition than Turcotte's in, in LA. All right. Round two, who would you rather Arthur Kaliev or Cole Caulfield? Ooh, yeah, this is tough because there are both incredible goal scorers. Um, but man, I, I lean Caulfield. Um, and the reason I do is because I think what, one of the things I've seen at Wisconsin this year is he's taking the puck a lot more himself. He's not, you know, he's he's not forcing his center to create things for him. I think at this tournament, just because of the way Maddie Beneers plays, that 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 he will create. Beneers will be the one creating a lot of, the, you know, carrying the puck a lot. He'll be the one driving the line. Uh, but I think we we've seen Caulfield this year at Wisconsin drive his line. He's making plays with his hands. He's making plays with his feet. He's getting back defensively and taking pucks off the of guys. He's a better skater than Kaliev. Um, and he, he has, you know, you know, they're, they're both have absolute weapons in terms of shots. You know, Kaliev has the size advantage. I think his one timer is better. Um, and you know, I think that he, he has, I don't think there's anybody outside of the NHL that I've seen recently that shoots off the pass as well as Arthur Kaliev. So, um, you know, they're both, they're really tight, but I think that Caulfield has a little more dynamic element to him and is a better skater and has a little bit more, um, a little bit more of a motor, uh, but Kaliev is going to play. And I think, you know, this year in particular, I think Los Angeles may give him a shot to, to see if he can stick. If not, he goes back to junior, but I don't think he's that far away and he's a power play weapon. He'll play, you know, I think he'll be a top unit power play guy. You know, I've talked to the Kings. They love what they've seen from him. They, they've never really had a player quite like him. Um, and so, I think that he's he's a guy that's that's really exciting. But if we're going between the two, it's Caulfield for me. Yeah, I'm more of a more of a Caulfield fan for sure. I've seen Arthur Kaliev play live a, a couple of times, and there's a few things in his game that I've seen that um, that really worries me. Um, yeah. So I take Cole Caulfield uh, every day, and not to say that Kaliev can't mature and and grow out of those. Um, those lapses that he has in his game. Um, but if you just watch the highlight reel, it, it's pretty hard to pick between the two of them. That's for right. sure. Right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, Matt Boldy. He's in his uh, second season in the NCAA. He had a bit of a slow start last year, I believe, but he finished pretty strong with 26 points in 34 games. 
and he's been on fire out of the gate this year with uh, with Boston College with two points a game pace, three and three goals and five assists and through four games. Um, he looks like he is just trending straight up, and uh, maybe Minnesota's got themselves a, a bit of a player here. Uh, yeah. What's what's your take on Boldy? Yeah, I I never even even when he was going through his his soft spell last year where the just nothing was going right for him at the beginning of the season. He had a good first game and and really just trailed off after that. Didn't end up making the World Junior team. I still thought they should have brought him just because I I know what he's capable of. But this year we've seen the real Matt Boldy, and we saw it at the end of last season too. Uh, the biggest the biggest benefit to this season's Matt Boldy is he has not yet played with Alex Newhook this year, which he did last year. And Newhook really helped get Boldy going last year. Now Boldy's going on his own. He's driving a line. He is an excellent defensive winger, um, a high, high-end defensive winger who can play on your PK. But then he's also this, you know, six foot two kind of you know, lanky frame with incredible hand skills for, for a player of that size. And he, he makes a lot of plays in tight spaces, uh, excellent vision and a high end shot. So he's got all of the tools. He's, you know, his, his skating, he doesn't have quickness in terms of his skating. He's not, he's not, you know, I think he's got some decent power in his, in his stride. I think he can, you know, get, get where he needs to go. He's not slow. He's, he, he makes plays and, and, and can, you know, make sure that he's making good decisions with his brain, you know, and, and, and then the feet kind of have to catch up to that, to catch up to his hands and, and his, and his hockey sense. But, you know, I think he's going to play a pretty significant role on this team as well. Um, you know, I think he's, he's, he's just one of those guys that you can put him kind of anywhere and he's going to find a way to produce. And that's what we've seen at Boston college this year. And I think that was, that was really important to see, it was important for him to come into the tournament with that level of confidence because I think that was part of the issue last year is, you know, the college game, if you don't get it going early, it can really start to eat you up and, the, and you're playing against older, stronger players. And it's really difficult. But I think that guys like Boldy in particular, um, you know, he needed to get going and going with New Hook really helped him. It, it made his game better. I thought New Hook was the best player in college hockey for the second half of last season. Um, and, and Boldy was was not terribly far behind based on what he was able to do with uh, with Newhook. And now this year we saw him do it on his own. And, and that's a really important thing for Matt Boldy. I want to say he's one of the, the the hottest rising prospects in the past two seasons. But I mean, he was only drafted in 2019 and he was a, the 12th overall pick in that yeah. draft. So it's not like he's come out of nowhere. But I just feel like even though he is a high end um, uh, draft choice with with a pedigree. Um, I feel like he's 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 really raised his his game, and um, he seems bound bound for greatness. So, a quick recap on some of the forwards that we've talked about here. We're we're, we're looking at Turcotte and Zgras uh, on a first line with possibly Arthur Kaliev, and that sounds lethal. Um, <laughs> and now we're talking about um. Some players who I think would be penciled in on the second line. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Cole Caulfield can't get any lower than than top six. No, no. Um, yeah. uh, what we just said about Matt Boldy sounds like he could be uh, on flanking him on the other side, and then you've got probably Matthew Beniers, who we've been talking about right off the top as a draft eligible player at 18 years old. Could he lock down uh, center on the second line on this on this roster? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a no doubter. Um... He's going to play a lot. 
And and I I think that that the thing that I love about that line with Beniers, Caulfield and Boldy is the balance because you've got Beniers who's the guy that will go and battle and get the puck. Um, he's good at both ends of the ice as is Boldy. Caulfield obviously you you want him for his offense. You want him to be freed up for the shot. You want him to be out wide um, and and making plays and getting pucks to the net. And you've got two guys that can absolutely get him the puck in Boldy. Uh, who is so good at creating extra time and space um, in addition to, you know, just the, the, the intelligence that he plays with um, just, just the ability to suck in defenders. It's going to really help Caulfield be the guy that's the the go-to scorer on that line. Um, but yeah, so I, that's the thing that I love about that group. And when I heard that line was, was a possibility um, it just made so much sense. So, you know, I could see it on the ice already um, just because of the balance that comes with it. All right, so that's a wildly impressive top six. Um, they've got seven players vying for the, the bottom six in Brett Berard, Bobby Brink, Brandon Brisson, Sam Colangelo, John Farinacci, Patrick Moynihan, and Landon Slaggart. Um, so one of these guys is going to be in the press box every night, and they might rotate that. Um, World Junior teams tend not to. If they have four good lines that they think have good chemistry and all contribute, they tend not to mess with that. Um, another thing that stands out to me about this roster is there's a number of 18-year-old players. Um, Slaggart's 18, Colangelo's 18, uh, Brendan Brisson, I think, just turned 19, but he was just drafted, so he's basically 18. Uh, Brett Berard is 18 as well. Um, I feel like it's a little bit of a younger roster than what the States tends to bring. They usually go with their 19 year olds, kind of like Russia that way. Yeah. You know, and I, I think, I think if they had their way, um, you know, they, they might've had more 19 year olds and, you know, we, one guy we haven't mentioned, you know, John Beecher unable to be playing in the tournament because, you know, he, he, he tested positive for COVID. Um, he took a subsequent test, I believe came back negative, but one, one positive and you're out. And so that's yeah. really unfortunate for him because he was a returning player. Like he did have a one game suspension uh, that he would have had to have served that came from last tournament um, in the, in this quarterfinal with Finland, he got suspended. Um, and so, but he, he would have made the team um, and would have probably been on that third line and, and been another 19 year old. And they also lost Nick Robertson who would have been on the team last year. Toronto's not releasing him. So those two guys certainly would, you know, no doubters on the roster. And then I think Thomas Bordalo, who was in USA's camp, and he's another 18-year-old um, who's been one of the most impressive freshmen in the in the country so far this year uh, with some of the plays that he's made for Michigan. He was Beecher's roommate. He gets knocked out because he's a close contact of an, a confirmed positive. And that's just, it, it's, it, that really devastates Team USA's top nine because I think Bordalo, Robertson, and Beecher probably would have been on there. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, that's why we're seeing kind of this discrepancy. And so the U S has 13 forwards that they're able to bring, you know, typically a U.S. roster has seven defensemen, 13 forwards dressed because you can dress, you know, 20 in your, in your roster for the world juniors. And so they usually go with a 13, you know, and that was the, that was the intention was to go seven, 13, you know, in, in the lineup, they were going to bring eight defensemen, 14 forwards and had to change plans because of COVID-19 and because the Maple Leafs wouldn't release Robertson, all these different things kind of come into play. Um, and, and I think, you know, you look at guys like Berard, guys like Slagger and you say, okay, they're, they're good players. Is this, would they have made it otherwise? And I'm not sure that they would have. Um, but 
you know, I think that they bring a, uh, you know, a Slaggart in particular is one of the prototypical USA hockey guys that play on the fourth line. Great work ethic. I've loved what I've seen from him at Notre Dame so far this year. Uh, I think their freshmen have been some of their best players, and, and that includes Slaggart. Um, and then Berard uh, had a tough outing. The, the Unfortunately, I hate to bring this up, uh, but it's it's it was just this incredible stat. And, and I think he's a phenomenal young player, and it's going to be really good But uh, over over the years. But you know, the, the, he plays for Nate Lehman at Providence and the last game they played Boston college, they lost nine to nothing. He was on the ice for eight of the goals against. And so that was a tough, that was a tough learning experience for a freshman player, um, you know, to, to, to put a dash eight up. Um, and I, you know, we don't read into, to plus minus all that, that, uh, closely, but, you know, in a single game environment and, 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 and there's a snowman there, that's, it's pretty notable, but, but I, again, I think he's a very intelligent player. He's going to learn. Um, but, you know, I, I think that those kind of guys are going to be on the depth of the lineup. It's going to be really interesting to see where, you know, guys like Brendan Brisson, John Farinacci, uh, Sam Colangelo line up because they, they have, a you know, sp- particularly Farinacci has a pretty diverse skill set. And then Brisson and Colangelo are certainly more offensively minded players and, and, and played together with the Chicago Steel last year. So uh, very well could see those two guys together as well. Nice. And I, like you said earlier, I do think the United States has uh, has something to prove in this tournament. Um, they've had a couple of years now of, of disappointment and they've long now been a team uh, or a nation on the rise. And it's it's really nice to welcome them in, into the elite uh, international um, circle or consideration of, for for ice hockey. Um, and uh, I think this this should be a statement tournament for this particular group of players like you were saying they you know they have so much expectation um for them and uh you know at the international stage particularly the world juniors these guys have have not really uh not really got the result that they that they want it's a tough tournament and you know if they don't win the gold it's well, not everybody can, right? There's there's some other right. <laughs> there are some other really 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 great teams every year in this tournament. Um, so there's always going to be some some heartbreak, but uh, I, I don't I don't underestimate the Americans, and they are a legitimate gold medal contender, in my opinion. Yeah, you know I I think so, and, and I think you you know Canada on paper, you know with the exception of the goaltending, I think they're better at at, at every position. Um, but at the same time, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that that's going to be the team that wins the gold medal. And so I think that the U.S. has a team that can skate with Canada. Um, you know, they're they're not in the same group to start. So, you know, the, the soonest they would see them is probably, you know, late in the tournament in those those all crucial, all important games. The ones that that always scare you a little bit, because it's I think sometimes getting to the gold medal game is the harder part than uh, than than actually playing in that game. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing to see what this tournament's going to look like. I'm, I'm excited for the field. I think the U S absolutely has an opportunity, uh, to contend for gold. I think that they would have had a better opportunity if some of the guys that, that I mentioned that had been knocked out of the tournament, uh, were available to them. Uh, but at the same time, they certainly have depth to, to absorb those losses. And then you just look at, you know, will Russia get the, the benefit of Yaroslav Iskarov just going off in this tournament? I think that's possible. You know, does Sweden have enough firepower with all the losses they've had due to COVID-19 um, and, and, and also having their coach not able to travel with them? 
Um, there are so many questions coming into this tournament, but you know, that's the great thing about the world juniors is we're going to get answers. We'll probably read into them too much than, than we should, <laughs> you know, how that goes where, yeah. where, where we, we take way too much, uh, and put an emphasis on these seven games that these teams play. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, that, that margin for error is, is one of the great things that, that provides the drama and, uh, the storylines that, that I can't wait to follow in this tournament. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a short tournament. It's only a couple weeks long, and the the medal round is you lose one and you're done. It's not a best of seven. You can't come back from from a loss in a medal round game. So, um, one of the many reasons why I like it and storylines and and characters and legends that come out of the World Juniors and um, it it is the most wonderful time of the year. So, <laughs> can't wait for uh, the tournament to start and. Uh, dig into some of my upcoming episodes uh i think the next episode i'm going to record will be um talking team canada with craig button from tsn so strong start to my world junior podcast series chris thanks so much and chris peters is the uh the prospect writer for espn you can follow him on twitter at chris m peters and uh chris anything else you want to plug or mention about um where we can find your work yeah no i i I think you nailed it. So, yeah, we're going to definitely have some World Junior coverage uh, at ESPN.com. And um, I'm obviously on Twitter very, very, very active during the World Juniors. So uh, and, and always glad to interact with people as well. So if you have questions about Team USA or just the tournament in general, always happy to answer those. And, yeah, Peter, this is awesome. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, I think it's uh, I can't wait to listen to the other episodes as well because uh, this is going to be a lot of fun this tournament. It sure is. I can't wait to have the conversations and record them. So thanks for listening to Dauber Prospects Radio. If you like the show, hit the subscribe button, share it on social media, give me a five-star review, all that fun stuff. Uh, make sure you check out uh, Dauber's Draftcast with Tony Ferrari. Uh, that's that's great stuff too. It focuses more on the draft-eligible players, and I kind of focus a little bit more on some of the fantasy side and a little bit wider of a, of a spectrum. So uh, thanks for listening. Check those podcasts out. Give Chris a follow on Twitter and have a, a safe and Merry Christmas and enjoy the world juniors, everybody. See you on the next episode. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.